Turning your Bibles, church, at Romans chapter 5. We're going to con- continue our conversation through the book of Romans. It's a wonderful text. This is, as I suggested already, profound. This is a very profound passage here today. And Paul discusses deep theology in this one particular text today. We're going to read from 12 through 21. But um, I, I know it already that because there's so much material here, I don't want to just skip over, gloss over anything. I want to take my time. This is not preaching. This is teaching. So I pray that you tighten up, get your, pen, your pens or pencils ready, take notes, don't fall asleep. Uh, today we get to learn a little bit about what the gospel truly is, what Jesus Christ actually did for us. And the one term that stands out in this text like it did last week and next week and the following week, is justification. This is just another angle. Paul talks to us about justification. Romans 5, verse 12. If you have it, say amen. The Bible reads, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if... Because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more with those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, or one of your versions may actually read, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also may reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Thank you so much for this word and its profound meaning, as well as its profound implications. We thank you so much for it, Father. May May you help us as we open our hearts and open our minds to hear what you have to say to us this morning. May you help us, Father, to apply these truths to our lives. These things we pray, giving you glory and honor. 
in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, today, as I said already, we're going to continue our conversation about the doctrine called justification. Boy, I hate this. Justification is certainly the big picture in this one particular text, in this one particular passage. And I love the way Paul presents his argument uh, concerning his doctrine. What he does in this text is he goes back and forth a number of times contrasting some things in the text. He begins with contrasting. We're going to look at it in a few moments. He begins with contrasting Jesus Christ and Adam. And then he goes into contrasting the result of the action with the result of Adam's uh, disobedience, uh, contrasting that with the result of Jesus Christ and his obedience. And I thank you, Jesus, for these profound truths. The point of this passage, if you're writing down, if you're taking down some notes, is in the same way God imputed, that's the word, In the same way God imputed sin unto all mankind because of Adam's sin, he now offers complete forgiveness to everyone who looks to Jesus in faith. It's a powerful point. We're talking about freedom in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're talking about a freedom that cannot be experienced in any, that no other religion offers, that no other religious man can offer. To you and I. No other religion offers the freedom that you and I are able to enjoy in Jesus. I mean, this is a freedom from from the crown of your head down to the soles of your feet. What's the application? The application of this passage is extremely simple. God's abundant grace is greater than all our sin. God's abundant grace is greater than all our sin. Sin. These, some of these points you're not necessarily going to see up on your screen. <clears throat> uh, it's just too much information. Uh, look at verse 12 with me. Let's begin. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And we begin our lesson here today with Paul's presentation of the doctrine of man's rebellion. You can see that up in your screen. Next screen. The doctrine of man's rebellion. It's sort of like the anthropology of man, if you will. The study of man or the beginning of man. And the reference, of course, in this one particular text is to Adam. And Paul, what he does is that he essentially borrows again from the Old Testament to make his point about the truth found only in Jesus Christ. And that truth is the doctrine, this message of reconciliation. And I love how Paul weaves this into all of his letters. I think I mentioned something similar to that last week. One of my favorite passages, I say that about all the passages, don't I? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is not in the text, this is a side note. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, he talks about this ministry of reconciliation. And it's a reality because of justification in Jesus Christ. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. What better way? We're talking about the contrast here, right? We're going to get to it in a moment. There's a contrast that Paul the Apostle gets into. He contrasts Jesus with Adam. What better way is there 
to highlight its importance, the importance of justification, than by presenting the reason for which it was necessary in the first place. And that is a contrast with Adam. Um, Look at verse 12. The verse says, sin came into the world through one man. And simply put, what Paul is saying is that Adam's disobedience resulted in the introduction of sin. Where somebody once put it before, the introduction of evil into the human experience. This is a reference to the sinful nature that you and I possess. When Adam rebelled against God in the beginning, he opened a door that should never have been opened. Yes, we know what we're going to look into the text in terms of what it says about Adam. But we're also going to discover some powerful truths about how that one particular act of disobedience impacted you and I here today. Just think about it. I mean, you you have to think about it in terms of a horror movie. It's, It's a horror because that's exactly what it is. He opened the door and it destroyed our human experience. So he's referring to his own experience. And Adam now finds himself. Think about the fall of mankind in the beginning. And think about now the crisis that Adam now found himself in. An awful crisis. We're talking about this human nature, this evil that now exists. And in effect, Adam had become a recipient of God's wrath. We talked about that one be- once before, where he suffered the loss of God's favor. Is there anything worse than being outside of God's favor? Is there anything worse than being outside of God's presence? Is there anything worse than being outside of God's righteousness? God, uh, outside of having a peace with God? Nothing at all. And as, as a result of Adam's act of disobedience... He was reprimanded by God, and he was ultimately punished in a severe way. We're not going to get into that Genesis chapter 3 here this morning. But look again with me to verse 12. Because there's more more to the consequence of what happened in the beginning. The verse says, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. What does that mean? First Paul tells us that, He sort of of gives us a glimpse into Adam's life and what happened to him as a result of his act of disobedience. He was punished, ultimately. And now he goes into the impact that that act of disobedience had upon everybody else. What did Adam offer the rest of the world? What did he contribute? He contributed a sinful nature, which you and I possess. But the text, that verse that I just finished reading, actually says that because all sinned. Because all sinned. And I thought about that. The implication is that we have all, that we have all inherited Adam's sinful nature because they were, in fact, our first parents. But also that we are all guilty before God because of our own personal sin. Hence the phrase, because all sin. So we're not sinners necessarily. Yes, we possess this sinful nature, thanks to Adam, but we are sinners because we, as individuals, have rebelled against God ourselves. I mean, just think of it, when we come out of our mother's womb, 
We come out with this sinful nature. And the moment we can do for ourselves, we almost always choose the wrong thing because of this sinful nature. Then we, then we get to this age of accountability that we, some people throw around that term, whether it's 11, 12, or 13 years old, where we have to lead a child, lead an individual, lead an individual to Jesus Christ. We do so because of the person's, that person's personal sin. And it has to be dealt with. It has to be resolved. Look at verses 13 and 14, how Paul continues here. He says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. When I read that, I'm like, really? What in the world is he talking about? He seems like he's going off in a tangent, like he's, he's really incoherent, like he's, like he's introducing another conversation here. And in a sense, he is, but it's all pertinent. Nonetheless, and in fact, some of you may have a version of a Bible here today that actually has verses 13 through 17 in parentheses. And so when you read the text, you read from verse 1 through 12 coherently with a topic. And then you have to sort of jump to verse 18 to continue with Paul's original train of thought. But he inserts that powerful deep theology in between. He smashes it in between. Verses 13 through 17. Powerful information there that we need to look at here this morning. Verse 13. said, Paul presents to us the subject of the law. He introduces the law here. Which, by the way, was given at least 2,500 years after Adam. And he does this again to make a powerful point about the reality of of sin. Follow along with me. Normally sin is understood in view of the law. We've talked about that once before. We talk about it in our churches. You hear sermons online. You sort of hear somebody always present this, this concept of sin in view of the law. Why? Paul even says it himself. Because the law was given to bring about exposure of sin in our lives. But it sort of sounds like a contradiction that Paul's presenting here. Because on the one hand, he says, <clears throat> he says that sin has, sin was present before the law was given. And then he goes on to say that where there is no law, sin is not counted. So what's he actually saying here? We have to unpack that <clears throat> a little bit just to make sense of it. <clears throat> Verse 13 and 14. He writes that sin reigned from Adam to Moses. And yet, in spite of the fact that the law had been given, Sin is still in effect. I'm just covering some of the things that I'm just saying. I want to follow my own thread here. So the question is, what did he mean by that? If sin is still in effect, how can it not be counted against man? So you see that contradiction? At least it seems as if there is one. There is no contradiction. But it seems as if, if we fail to understand it. So I want you to look at a couple of passages. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see how this pans out. These couple of passages that we're going to read here this morning while you're looking. Um, <clears throat> Paul talks about what many today refer to as general revelation. Put that down on your notes. General revelation. 
And it's the idea that God has always revealed himself to mankind in this way. God has always revealed himself to mankind in one way or another. And that's why man was and is held accountable before the law was given. Because of this general revelation. Romans 1, you there? Look at verses 18 through 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it's talking about people who are not necessarily living for God, right? I mean, I think we can establish that. And yet these are people who by their unrighteousness, nonetheless, are suppressing the truth. There wasn't a time, I said this before, I'll say it again. There wasn't a time in my life before I came to Jesus when I wasn't aware of the wrong things that I was doing with my life. There wasn't a time. Every time I set out to do something bad, something evil, to commit a crime, I always knew in my heart of hearts that I was doing the wrong thing. But I couldn't help it because of the power of sin that was alive and well in my life at the time. Let's keep reading. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Now we're talking about sinners. And it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Clearly underlying that. Clearly perceived, even by sinners. Ever since the creation of the world, even including during that time before the law was given. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now look at chapter 2. I'm going to do a little study today. <clears throat> look at verses, verses 14 and 15. We're talking about general knowledge. It says, when, when the Gentiles... You're there? I still hear your pages. Chapter 2, 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law... By nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Underline that. The law written on our hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Hmm. What are we talking about? We're talking about what many theologians refer to as the law of conscience. The law of conscience. So during that time, after Adam's sin, and 2,500 years later, before the law was given, that space and time, God held man accountable by the law of conscience. God was always revealing. He was always speaking. In fact, if you get into the Proverbs, it, it, Proverbs Solomon talks a lot about that. How wisdom cries out. Wisdom is always. God is always reaching. God is always talking. God is always communicating. There isn't one soul in this room who is not aware of right and wrong um, during any situation, any circumstance in your life. We always know, right? Is there a time when we are not sensitive to right and wrong? No, not so. If, if you say otherwise, hmm, I think we need to have you up here and, you know, Rub some lard all over you and pray for you and, and, you know, pray for a couple hours. Look at verse 14. 
So we're talking about the law of conscience. Verse 14 says, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. That portion of scripture right there actually supports the idea of the law of conscience. It says, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Now, remember, we got to remember that, that, that Adam was the one who was given the commandment. Everybody thereafter was not. And yet they were still held accountable. Why? Because of the law of conscience. Because they, they, this, it, this, this innate, this embedded truth in the heart of every human being. It's referring to a people who did not receive a direct commandment as Adam did, yet were held accountable nonetheless because of their own personal sin. I didn't sin. You and I did not sin in the same manner that Adam and Eve did in the beginning. I've never personally, physically, in some tangible way, have heard from God. Never. And I may never tangibly hear from God. I may never have God materialize in front of me to give me a commandment that I would have to obey. I, I may never have that experience, but it's not necessary because he's written his laws in my heart. And I know whether I ever have a preacher speaking into my life or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, well, pastor, what about those indigenous people in some, in some remote place in some world where the gospel has never been preached? Well, what about them? Aha, uh-huh, I got you. Well, the same holds true for them. We all had this conscience. God created everybody. Culture doesn't matter. Yes, there's a powerful impact on our lives because of culture. The lies, the deception, the witchcraft that we involved ourselves in, in ourselves with. My fathers, I, I, I was transparent with you about it once before. I'll say it again. In my father's family, all the men going back eons, forever, were always involved in Santaria, witchcraft, black magic, voodoo. Whatever you want to call it. And yet in spite of that, my father always displayed this innate, this reality, this sensitivity that he always knew what was right and wrong. Always. Even though he practiced it, he always knew right from wrong. You know what's the best message he sent us, his children? Um, To that end, he never exposed us to it. He never exposed any of us. Because he knew he didn't want us dabbling in that stuff. Why? Because he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. And that's the point. So, before we move on uh, to the next point, um, the next couple points concerning these two verses that I just finished reading, uh, let me ask you, how can we apply this concept concerning the law of conscience to evangelism? It's a simple concept, but it's a reality. We all have a conscience. We all know right from wrong. How can we apply that to evangelism? Think in terms of going out there to a family member, not just the streets like Ron and Vet and the others that go out to Boyle Heights. No, that's not necessary for everybody because we all have a loved one, a family member, a son even maybe, a grandson who doesn't know Jesus. How can we apply the law of conscience to our to, to our, the concept of evangelism. Easy. Easy. Everybody has a conscience. And in one way or another, God is always challenging, repeatedly challenging every human being on, in that area, right and wrong, right and wrong. And, and we're uneasy. Why do you think when some people who do not know Jesus come to church, you look at them and it's like they got ants in their pants. They're squirming around, right? 
Because they have a conscience and they know they're not necessarily at peace with God. They're not receiving necessarily what's being taught in church. And so they squirm. They are resisting, innately resisting the gospel truth because of their nature. And yet when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone in your life who doesn't know the Lord, all you have to do is share it. Just share the word of God. Their conscience is already pricked. It's already, it's, it's like on overdrive even. Because God's been working on their hearts. And all you have to do is grace, gracefully and lovingly share the truth of the word of God. And let God handle the rest. He can do that. God can do that. <clears throat> Look at um, verse 14. The last part of verse 14. I want you to see this. Because Paul the Apostle goes, he, he, he mentions, he closes out that verse talking about Jesus. I mean, I mean Adam, I'm sorry. That Adam was a type of Christ. A type of Christ. I want to sort of speak to that just a little bit. It says, that last part says, who was a type of the one who was to come. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, we're going to get into that in the next few verses. So, I'm going to leave it alone right here. I just want to talk about what a type is. Because not everybody in this room knows what that is. It's defined as a person or thing that is foreshadowed or represented by a type or symbol. Especially a character or event in the New Testament prefigured in the Old Testament. Adam was a type of Christ. He was a figure, a shadow of things to come in Christ Jesus or the, the exact opposite, actually. So Adam was the type and Jesus Christ was the anti-type. The one who actually fulfilled the symbol presented in the Old Testament. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> it says, but the free gift... It's not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more. You need to highlight that in your Bible. It says, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. We talked about this a little bit. We know that the trespass was huge. It was horrible opening that door to sin where he lost, where Adam and Eve lost that beautiful, perfect fellowship with their God, with their creator. And then how it impacted the rest of mankind, the rest of human experience, yours and mine. We got these issues, right, that we deal with on a regular basis because of that error in the, in the beginning. So it's powerful. I mean, it transcended all of life. Even animals were impacted by this, right? Even animals. And yet this verse goes on to say that the wonderful truth that we find in Jesus Christ is greater than. Watch how it unfolds. <clears throat> so Paul highlights a couple of things here. This is a contrast that I talked about between Christ and Adam. He sort of pits them head to head. Number one, he talks about Adam's rebellion and its result. And secondly, he talks about Christ's obedience and the result of his obedience. Now, let's talk about that first point for a moment. We want to talk about Adam for just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> some of these things you might want to uh, consider or write down. Concerning Adam, 
He writes that his sin was so huge, so devastating that it had a powerful impact on the rest of humanity. Look at verse 15. It says, many died through one man's trespass. It says, many died through one man's trespass. This verse reveals the moral condition of humanity. It's the reason why the world is in the condition that it's in. Note, God is not responsible for why the world is in the condition that it's in. As so many people really believe. I'm working with somebody now who I am having a whole lot of trouble with. Somebody close to this fellowship. Because this individual has a problem with God. Because of the current experience. I'm trying not to reveal anything there. Because of what she's going through. I had to say that much at least. Because of what she's going through. So, concerning that sin in the beginning. We're talking about spiritual and physical death. God said, the day you eat thereof, you shall or you will surely die. You will surely die. The children are not in the room, but I'm sure you can remember that time when you, you, you're playing around in your mother's kitchen. I know I remember the time I got burned on my mama's stove. She said, don't touch that. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. I felt that heat. And, well, what drew me to the stove in the first place wasn't the heat. It was the good food. So I followed my nose and I went to the stove. Isn't that why you, not, ooh, a light bulb just came on in your head. That's exactly that drew you, what drew you to the stove too, so long ago, right? I went to the stove. I was curious. Something smells really good. And so you want to reach for it, ignorant, totally ignorant of fire, right, or hot surface, and we get burned. Like my wife, for example. My wife is always getting burned on the stove. You know why she wears long sleeves all the time? It's not because she's cold. Because her arms are all burned up. <laughs> she burns herself all the time. That, that much is true. <laughs> she loves me. Unconditionally. Right, Bren? So, so we're talking about Adam. We're talking about his mistake. I want you to think about the countless billions of lives. Countless billions of lives over time. Who have plunged into hell because they mishandled Adam's contribution. I put it that way, Adam's contribution, because man is not in hell today because of Adam. Man is in hell today because of his own sin. You see, we don't go to hell because of Adam's mistake. Yes, he contributed this sinful nature, but we have to make a distinction. If we're not going to stand before God one day, man, sinful man who's in hell, is not going to stand before God and one day and said, I'm, I'm, I'm here in hell or you're going to cast me into hell because of Adam. No, that's not true. That's why Paul said, because all have sinned. Because all have sinned. And the penalty, Romans 6.23, for the wages or the penalty of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now concerning Christ, the sec second aspect here in these, this verse 15, Paul essentially writes that Jesus has offered a greater contribution. We know that it, what Adam did is horrible and the result horrible. But consider now what Jesus did to correct this problem 
this situation. It's a greater contribution. Verse, the first part of verse 15 says, the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift is not like the trespass. Why? Because the free gift is better. Jesus has offered us something that essentially eradicates the moral consequence of Adam's sin. What is it that Jesus has given us? He's given us grace. He's given us unmerited favor. And it's greater. Yes, Adam's sin was huge. It was devastating. Far-reaching implications. But consider the grace of God. Paul goes on to say, one of the verses that we're not going to cover today, because I'm watching the clock, we're not going to get to it. But he says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. In other words, grace goes further than sin. And we know that sin has gone really, really far to destroy the human experience. And yet, grace is to be understood as something from God that goes further. It's better. It's stronger. It's richer. It's fuller. Amen, somebody. It's powerful. There's nothing like the grace of God. Look at 15, the middle part of verse 15. Highlight these words. It says, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It means that mankind has now access, has now, now has access to fellowship with the Almighty God Himself because of Jesus Christ. The free gift is better. It's greater in every way, shape, or form. And that's why verse 20 reads, With sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Look at 16 and 17 there. It says, And the free gift is not like the result. Stop right there. It's not like the result. First it's talking about, it's not like Adam's sin. Now it's, now it's going to, he, he switches gears a little bit. Now he goes into the area of the impact of Adam's sin on mankind. That the free gift, this justification, this grace in Jesus is better than the result of Adam's sin. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more. They go those words again. Highlight them. Much more <clears throat> with those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Highlight these three words. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The emphasis here is on the result of each man's contribution. That's the, that's, the, that's the topic here. The result of each man's contribution. What Adam contributed and what Jesus did as well. And again, I said it earlier. I love the way Paul presents his argument from different angles. He kind of repeats himself. You know, you, I know you're sitting there. Why is he repeating himself? I'm doing so because Paul's repeating himself. I'm following the text verse by verse. And Paul re repeats himself. You know why he does this? To eliminate any ambiguity. No shadows. No misinterpretation. No misunderstanding. This is what it says. This is the fundamental truth for the word of God. Don't go try introducing your two cents because there's no space in the, in the text for it. None. He settles the matter. He looks at it from every conceivable angle. 
Uh, first, he writes about the act of each man. Now he writes about the impact of their actions. Number one, the condemnation that ensued from Adam's sin. And number two, if you're writing notes, the justification made available by Jesus Christ. Those are the two points that are presented there in verses 16 and 17. And concerning the first point, condemnation, Paul writes in verse 16. Look at the verse. He says, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. And look at verse 17 because he shares something similar. It says, death reigned through that one man. Death reigned through that one man. Think about the horror of that. Think about the horror of being outside of fellowship with God. Look at, um, look at um, verse 16 again. Because now we want to talk about the second point in these two verses, which is justification. And Paul writes, essentially, that there's a big difference between the two. There's a big difference between condemnation and justification, which is the second point. Verse 16 says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. In other words, condemnation brought death, but justification brings life. Write that down. Justification brings life. And all because of Jesus' selfless, sinless, obedient act upon the cross so long ago. Verse 17, it reads, Much more with those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. These are powerful truths laid out. Can I get the worship team to come up if they're still here? I, I just want to limit my words. I want to just summarize it. It's a powerful text. And again, what Paul does in this passage, he makes a contrast between Adam and Jesus, their contributions. Then he makes another contrast concerning their actions or the result of their actions. Powerful stuff. Because we know that Adam introduced the sinful nature. He experienced it personally and he passed that on to the rest of mankind because we are direct descendants from him. Every single one of us. We are all impacted in the same way. We all have this sinful nature running its course on the inside of us. It's the reason why we struggle from time to time to do the things we know we should be doing with our time and with our lives, including with our finances. How we need to be a blessing with those, with those resources that God has given to us. It's difficult. It's not easy, right? It's always easier said than done. But consider Jesus and his contribution. Because that's the challenge in the text. Adam introduced condemnation to the human experience. Jesus Christ did the exact opposite. Sin had far-reaching implications. But grace abounds even farther, even further, more powerful effect in our life. It actually cancels out. It neutralizes the condemnation of sin in our life. It doesn't mean we no longer sin, as some people suppose. I don't, I don't see that in Scripture anywhere. But it does mean that we're not held accountable. There's no judgment. There's no curse, no wrath, 
There's no condemnation, right, Miss Laws? There's no condemnation. And when I do that which is displeasing in the sight of God, all I have to do is humble my heart. I got to recognize it, humble my heart, and confess it to God in Jesus' name. And just like that, just like that, just like that, it's gone. It's gone. Sin is not imputed because of Christ and his righteousness. Stand with me. This is good news. Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much this morning. Thank you so much for this word, for this message, for this text. Thank you for Romans, Father God. Thank you so much for talking to us about this justification. And I know, Lord God, I need to somehow slow it down just a little bit and be a little more clear and concise. And I pray that you help me with that, Lord. But there's some powerful truth in there, Lord God. It's more than I can handle, more than I can convey adequately. I pray that you help us, Father God, to study the Scriptures on our own time, to make note of some of these things, to help us to remember the powerful truths, Lord God, the contrast that your servant, Paul the Apostle, made, Lord God, from the Scriptures, where he visited the Old Testament and Adam and Adam's life and his contribution to our experience, but yet more so what you, Lord Jesus, contributed to us as a result of your death your burial, and your resurrection. I love you today, Lord Jesus. We love you today, Lord Jesus. Receive our worship, Lord God, and receive our praise. These things we pray in your name, Lord. And God's people say it. Amen.
Thank you so much. Thank you even, Lord God, for the truth in that song. Hosanna, Hosanna. Thank you so much, Father God, for showing up the way that you did and for doing the things that you did for us so that today, Lord God, so that today we can enjoy peace with you. Today we can enjoy fellowship with you. Imagine fellowship with the Almighty God. We thank you for it, Lord God. We thank you for cleansing us of our sin. You cleanse it. You need cover it. You cleanse it. You remove the stain. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for giving us this wonderful peace that we enjoy today in spite of the circumstances that we live in. We pray your blessings, Lord God, on our lives. Be with us the rest of this week. Be with us as we leave this place. We praise you and magnify you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See some of you on Wednesday. See you next Sunday.